All right. Welcome back to another episode of Over Engineered, the podcast where we ask the very important question, what's the absolute best way to do things that don't particularly matter? Uh, today, I am back with my friends Skylar and Bogdan, and uh, we're here to talk about event sourcing. Hello, Welcome hello. Back, guys. Hello, hello. This is the most exciting thing I've been thinking about the whole week. <laughs> Uh, it is an well, interesting topic, and I'm looking forward to speaking about it for sure, especially after hearing the conversation you've had with Daniel at the last podcast. Uh, I think uh, it, it uh, raised some eyebrows. It's kind of an interesting uh, conversation to have. For sure. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's it's back in the air between us talking about it and him talking about it on No Plans to Merge and just, uh, I don't know, it coming up a couple times for us. Uh, I am excited. Um, and so I, I was saying before we started, I think just to set the stage, let's like have a quick conversation about what exactly event sourcing is and how event sourcing, um, works in the like PHP Laravel world or how we've used event sourcing. And then, um, we'll go from there. So I, I'll just sort of start and you two pepper me with questions when I get some, when I miss something or get something wrong and uh, we'll go from there. Um, Sounds good. So event sourcing is basically this premise that instead of just updating models in your database, you store the events that happen in your application and uh, trigger ch and use those events to, to change the state of your application. Um, I think the way that Daniel described it in the last podcast is really a nice analogy. Like we as object oriented programmers deal with nouns for the most part and event sourcing is effectively thinking in verbs. And there are lots of times when we're dealing with verbs and we're trying to model them as nouns. I think that's like such a great way to talk about it. Um, and so in an event sourced application, instead of just uh, changing a user record, right, you might store a user updated profile event and then have that event, uh, what store all the changed data on that event and then use that data to update your user records. Um, and it's usually talked about in the context of stuff like banking or financial systems, uh, anything where you kind of already have this concept of a ledger, it's really easy to draw the analogy. But I think that in a lot of places, um, we deal with stuff that happens that has an effect. And um, we lose a lot of the context of the stuff that happens. And we try to make up for it with audit logs or other packages that kind of are tracking history or using things like status columns, see the previous episode. Um, and, you know, when, when we get into those places where we're trying to fake having this historical data, um, that's a good pointer for maybe we need event sourcing or maybe we want to consider event sourcing. Um, and I want to get into the like sort of the language around it in a minute. But this conversation kind of came up because we've used event sourcing for a couple of things inside of our apps at Internachi. Um, and it's been really useful. 
And I think talking about it again got me personally fired up thinking, oh, there are a couple other places that it really would be a good fit. But like I was saying on the the previous podcast, I do think that it it comes with some, uh, you know, it comes with some trade-offs, certainly in a Laravel app that usually works one very specific way or like follows the typical Laravel conventions if all of a sudden you're doing everything with events. And so I was, I'm kind of thinking of this both as an opportunity to just talk about event sourcing and and think about uh, when it's useful and also just sort of to have our little debate about whether we want to embrace event sourcing a little bit more within our apps. Um, So that's kind of, that's kind of the, the backstory and the basic premise. Um, and then I think I do want to get into sort of some of these terms, uh, so that we're all sort of on the same page, but is there anything that I missed before we get to the, to the actual like vocabulary? I don't think so. I think that's, I think that's a good, uh, a good overview. Yeah. I, I am looking forward to hear all the vocabulary definitions. I feel like we need to have a disclaimer for the audience, uh, at least for me. I am not an event source expert, and I would love to learn some of these, uh, uh, you know, definitions of the verbs and the things that we're going to talk about. So I'm looking forward uh, as much as you are to hearing all about this. So with that, Chris, all right, teach us. So, something. all right, I'm going to try to keep this as brief as possible while while covering the the bases. Um, right. So the 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 core thing is events. Right. We've got events. Um, and we have some sort of dispatcher that fires events and, you know, for the, for, we have been using the Spotsy package, uh, the Spotsy event sourcing package. There's also event sauce, which is a very popular PHP event sourcing package. Um, but you know, for the listener at home, just the regular Laravel event dispatcher can do a lot of this stuff and, um, there's nothing stopping you from implementing something that uses uh, the concepts of event sourcing without using a formal event sourcing package, right? So we've got events that we dispatch. Um, an important thing about those events is they need to be stored somewhere, right? So we'll, we're storing them in a MySQL database. I think for a lot of Laravel developers, that's perfectly fine. Um, I just checked and we're at about 12 million events in our events table and it is perfectly performant. There's no issues with querying that data um, kind of because of the way, because of the access patterns that you have around events, you're, as long as you're indexing them properly, you're never going to have to do these complex queries on that table. So it's really just pulling them out of the database in an ordered manner. Um, so, you know, relational databases are really good at doing that. Um, so you've got your events and then on the other side of it, you've got your projectors and reactors they're typically called, but really just think of them as listeners, right? So when I fire a, um, user updated profile event, a listener can listen to that user updated profile event and actually find that user's record in the database and change their 
that that users table to reflect the changes that they made. This is a not the best example, but uh, it's fine. And the main difference between just using the regular Laravel event dispatcher and regular event listeners is we need to store those events to the database and then potentially play those events or handle those events in a queue or even replay them later. Or, you know, there's a little bit more of a separation. It's not just all happening in memory like a typical um, Laravel event uh, lifecycle. And then the hardest piece in here to really wrap your head about around is aggregates and aggregate roots. Um, and they're kind of in the middle of it all. Um, and so the aggregate or aggregate root is really just that, an aggregation of all the event data that has happened thus far um, at the point of time uh, that we are we are in either if you're replaying events it might be a point in time in the past or if the event just fired it might be the current point in time but the aggregate root is really a place to hold all of the state of your application as it relates to the event system such that you can dispatch future events and guard against invalid future events right so for example, um, we have an exam system that uses event sourcing under the hood. And uh, someone shouldn't be able to answer a question if the exam has ended, right? So when you try to fire uh, a, you know, a user answered question event, there needs to be some sort of state that understands like, is the exam still active? So the aggregate root is the place to hold all that state for the current point in time and keep it kind of separate from your app, the, the application state because this needs to work regardless of where your application happens to be, right? Um, because a big, uh, you know, one of the values of event sourcing, maybe, maybe uh, overstated value, but value nonetheless, is the opportunity to replay events. So you don't want to ever get yourself in a position where your um, event sourcing system relies on the current state of your application. So in this exam example, which I, I think maybe is a good example to give, right? You might have a user started exam or a started exam event, right? That that has the exam and some metadata about it and timestamp of when they started and who the user, what user started the exam. Um, and then you might have a, you know, answered question event. You might have a skipped question event, a couple things like that. Um, and our aggregate root, when we fire a exam started event, the aggregate root would then store, okay, who's the user that's taking this exam session? When does the session end based on the time limit for the exam? And when a an exam question answered event is when when we try to fire an exam question answered event the aggregate root can look at that um time limit and say hey is is the time that the person tried to answer this question after the exam ended well then we're gonna 
trigger an exception instead of letting them fire that event and maybe even fire a separate event that was like user tried to answer question after exam ended you know you you can do all sorts of stuff like that so the aggregate route is is going to be the tricky one to kind of to get a sense of but that's that's the basic premise it's just like the place to hold the current state of your event system separate from your application. And I was I was thinking about this a little bit and it almost feels like for anyone who's used to writing um, React or any sort of like uh, functional UI, it's almost like the, um, the aggregate root, the data on the aggregate root is your context and your, um, your projectors are use effect um, hooks. I don't know if that's uh, useful to anyone, but I was I'm trying to draw that parallel. It's not perfect. Um, but it's just like another way to think about it. Um, one thing that I've been oh, go ahead. One thing that helped me understand aggregate roots a little bit better was that uh, aggregate roots you can think of like they're just in memory. Um, when you persist an aggregate root what's actually happening is all of the events are being saved to the database or the event store. Um, but your aggregate root is just in memory and uh, it gets built up every single time you ask for a specific aggregate root. It gets rebuilt based off of the events that have happened already and been saved. Um, and so, I don't know, it was hard for me to try to think about like, oh, you have this you have this uh, exam aggregate root, but then you also have an exam traditional like Laravel model. It's like, well, how are those connected? And they're not really connected. Um, a projector might save something off to a regular Laravel model, but your aggregate root is just in memory. It has state of where things are right now. Um, but I don't know, that helped me a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a really that's a that's a good distinction, and it's also worth I think a, a, another useful thing to think about is when your system is built using event sourcing, your events and aggregate root can hold the state of what happened, and your database models can then be the data that you need to present your application. And so it gives you this flexibility to kind of store everything you could ever possibly want in your events and, you know, aggregate that data in your route to the, de to the degree that you need it, but then project that data in the format that is actually useful for how you're going to present it in your UI, right? So it, it leads to some interesting con considerations around normalization because you don't need to build your database models in a way that they like can theoretically hold all the data that you ever might need to collect. Instead, you can build your database models specifically the way you need to query them for your application. And so in the exam, you know, we're storing we're storing a bunch of sort of security, um, you know, IP address browser fingerprinting, like that sort of stuff that we may need, but 
the actual exam session table doesn't need to have the IP address of the user in it. Um, and if we ever need to audit it, we can just project those events into a new table for auditing purposes. Um, and it's, yeah, it's like that flexibility. And, and then the other thing that what you said, Skylar, made me think of is, yes, it is in memory, but that doesn't mean you can't, you know, optimize. So, for example, the Spotsy package lets you snapshot an aggregate root. Um, so at any moment, you can build up your aggregate root from all the events that have happened in your system and then save a snapshot. And then next time you retrieve that aggregate root, instead of having to repl replay, say, the 50 events that got you to that moment in time, you just fetch the snapshot and then replay any events that have fired since that snapshot was stored. And so there are ways to optimize that so that you're not like constantly recomputing the state of anything back from the beginning of time. Although in reality, recomputing that state is not very expensive and there are plenty of times when it's just fine to do that. So I will say, I mean, this conversation is great, but I, I love to like take a step back as I always do and talk about kind of like how we approach things in a traditional Laravel application. Uh, for example, perhaps we can talk about just kind of like a, a general user flow using, you know, the eloquent ORM and how we could maybe build up on the idea of event sourcing. I feel like for me, at least, it took me a little bit of like understanding, well, what is the benefit of event sourcing, right? And like, uh, I know that there's a lot of um, things that we're talking about, kind of like snapshots, aggregates and events and everything. And I honestly, it's a bit even over overwhelming hearing you guys talk about it. So, um, you know, I was thinking like, you know, perhaps we can set up an example of, um, you know, you have a controller, uh, you know, a user controller that has a store method. And in that method, you know, you would traditionally say user colon colon create and you would create a user. And maybe from here we can transition into this uh, event sourcing. You know, let's actually, we, we talked about this briefly on the last podcast. Let's actually use this uh, job assignment system. Oh, sure. Um, because I think that's going to be a better, you know, there, there are cases that are not great example, like you wouldn't necessarily want to use event sourcing for. So let's use one where we might actually have a case to use it. And so I think that might be a better example. Imagine just a, a, a tool where opportunities for work come in and then th those jobs can be assigned to different people. And then those people can sort of transition those jobs through it's assigned to them and then maybe they scheduled it and then they've completed it. And then maybe it's been reviewed and um, paid or something like that, you know, like where sure. it goes through a bunch of different stages. Does that seem yeah. like a reasonable example? Yeah. So, I mean, in this example, right, um, you know, traditionally we would do what? We would have like a job controller or an opportunity controller where, you know, we create some sort of job, right? There's the store method and we write directly into the jobs table uh, with some information about the, you know, the job itself. And then we subsequently could have like an update, met uh, update method on our jobs controller that could change the status, right? And I also mm -hmm. feel like, you know, I feel like one of the things that, um, you know, we may not realize, but I feel like we kind of use like event sourcing if you use audits or not event sourcing, but just kind of like history tracking of uh, a given column using audit logs. And 
uh, I feel like that's something that we've been doing, you know, uh, inadvertently almost. It's kind of like uh, trying to recreate the status of a model based on audit logs. And I think like for me, one of the things that kind of made some of the event sourcing click is, well, instead of trying to um, recreate uh, history from a given model's audit table, you know, you could create a model from the events, you know, and I feel like it's like a little bit of a paradigm shift of how we actually deal with data. Um, I, I don't know, maybe you guys have some experience on how that works or, you know, comments. No, I think that's, I think that's absolutely right. I think that audit logs, audit logs are useful. Um, and there are lots of cases where, where audit logs are the right, the right tool. Um, but certainly the moment that you start reaching for audit logs to try to like get back to, well, where was this at some point in the past? That is certainly a hint that maybe, maybe event sourcing would be a good, good, uh, tool here. Well, and so in this, in this jobs example, like we ran into an issue where when we changed the person who was assigned a job, we kind of like erase everything about the job and put it back into the like newly assigned category. But a situation happened where like a person was assigning it to an employee of their own company. And it's like someone had done part of the job and then they were changing the assignment to another person to finish it. But we basically like removed all their data and we went back to like our audit log and then like manually changed this information. But like, because we only had this one table it created this like weird problem where we're like, Oh, well, like that's not really a thing that we really thought about, like changing it to someone who was picking up the work where it left off rather than just starting it over. Right. Right. And that's like, that's a, I think that's such a good example of where just like the status column starts to fall apart because it's like something can transition from assigned to assigned <laughs> but actually be in a totally new state and have a totally new status, right? Like, and even, you know, the, the, the naive way of approaching this where you just say like, what was the old status? What's the new status? Is there any like sort of cleanup that we have to do to take it to that new state? Um, you know, where with, with this uh, job assignment stuff, what we would have done was just uh, clear out the assigned user, change the state to unassigned, and then immediately assign it to a new user. Um, it it got to that new assigned state in a totally different way than if it had just been new and then assigned for the first time. And you lose all that context when you just update the model directly. So in, in the example that Bogdan was giving, right? Yeah, there's a jobs controller. There's an update method on it. it the admin goes and picks a new status from a dropdown and, and does a put request to the update method. And maybe there's a little bit of logic in there that looks at the old status and the new status and does a little adjustment based on, on what the transition was. Maybe you're even using a package you could use a you know a, a state state machine 
library that handles transitions. But in the end, it's always just kind of now updating the new state. And, you know, this is a perfect example because uh, for for business reasons, we need to know when was it assigned and when was it scheduled and when was it completed? And we have some SLA requirements around, you know, what's the time between assigned and completed or what's the time between scheduled and assigned. Um, and so not only are we storing the status column, but we're storing the, the these different status timestamps because they mean something to the application. And I mean, I don't want to just rehash the conversation that we had last episode, but you know, you just see it starts to fall apart with this traditional just model controller approach uh, when the the actual flow of the application is through states, you know, or through, um, you know, the, where the transition between different states matters a lot. Yeah, I think like one of the... Um you know, another point I, I believe that like is a benefit with event sourcing or just kind of like this paradigm of like, you know, uh, firing some sort of events and, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, just reacting to those events as, you know, even a, a basic example of, you know, yes, you want to update the status of a job, but there may be, say, a webhook or something that gets pushed from a third party that also updates a job. Well, now you could just trigger that same exact event that could handle, you know, kind of like a little bit of validation and business logic within that event almost to push it forward, you know? And I think that's like one um, benefit that I feel like uh, is a little bit challenging in, you know, the basic um, controller writing directly to the database uh, because you could potentially have, you know, two places of where the logic lives or, you know, you could have to or you may have to like create some sort of like repository that holds some of this uh, common functionality that you have to reuse. Um, and, you know, by I feel like by having an event that gets triggered um, that then kind of like validates that this action is kind of like almost allowed, right? Like is the status change from uh you know new job to uh scheduled job allowed um you know for a job that you know um let's say is deleted you know and so i think there's a lot of interesting ways to like encapsulate uh complex business logics and different events and i think that's like one additional benefit that you know is not clear or not visible on the surface yeah yeah i mean and that's and that's where the aggregate root comes into into play. Like the aggregate root becomes this sort of single entry point for all that stuff, right? So to just kind of continue our example, um, in an event sourced world, uh, there would there would certainly be a model called job or opportunity, right? Um, but there's also going to be an aggregate root for the opportunity as well, right? And that object, the that the uh, let's job aggregate, let's call it, right, will have a method, um, you know, maybe a, a a static method called like new job, right? And it accepts all of the data that comes in from whatever source, and whether that's from the administrative 
panel or coming from like a third party webhook or whatever, um, that fires the event that represents a new opportunity arrived in the system, right? And typically that would be um, tied to something like a UUID um, so that, you know, it's still not, you're not worried about the specific database identity of that. You're just saying like, this is a new opportunity that came in. And then your, uh, your system would just call that method. That method might have some validation of, of the incoming data um, and then trigger the event. And, and separate, separate from that, you would have a projector that takes this on, you know, has just listens for the uh, new opportunity event or, a, a, you know, a, uh, it should be an event. So like a, a new opportunity arrived or something like that. I don't know. Um, or job offered maybe. Um, and that, uh, that listener, that projector would essentially do a job colon colon create, you know, calling a regular eloquent model and it would store that UUID as well as any other data that you want to be on your job model for your, for your application. Um, later, uh, that job gets assigned, right? And so your aggregate root, you'd retrieve your aggregate root, the job aggregate by that UUID. And you would, you would call assign on the aggregate root. Under the hood, the application is going to fetch all of the events that were fired on that UUID, which in this case is only going to be one, just the uh, you know job was created event. And it's going to replay internally within the aggregate that event to, to set up the internal state of the aggregate. It's going to reapply that event to the aggregate root. Um, and, you know, just think of that as basically like a reducer function. Your aggregate is just taking, uh, you know, a, a, a stream of events and reducing them down to state. So your aggregate root is probably going to need to store the current status of the job, which is just new. Um, you know, maybe it's going to store some timestamps. Maybe it's going to store some other stuff that it needs. But in this case, all the aggregate roots going to need to store is this, this, that the current state of the job is new, right? And so when you call assign, the aggregate root can say, okay, well, I replayed all the events internally or reapplied all the events internally. Uh, it's valid to transition from a new to a, an assigned state. So we'll let the, the, um, job was assigned event get fired and that will fire with all the data. Um, it'll probably have the assigned user ID, um, maybe some notes that a, an admin added when they were assigning it. Maybe, you know, probably the admin that did the assignment, um, maybe some other metadata, you know, um, and that event gets fired and now your projector is listening for job was assigned. And when it sees a job was assigned, it 
Now it looks up the job in your database, your, your Eloquent model, that has the aggregate UUID of that event. That job was created earlier, so it fetches it from the database. And now maybe all your projector does is say, you know, job update status is assigned, user ID is event user ID, right? And so we just walk through, you know, the happy path when the job is scheduled. All the system, all that aggregate route needs to do is, well, now uh, for the same same case, like it hit the, uh, you know, we we fetch the aggregate, we retrieve the aggregate by its UID, we call schedule on it. The aggregate's going to reapply all the previous events. So now when it sees the created and then assigned, it's going to update its internal uh, status to assigned. Uh, and it's going to say, okay, well, it was assigned, so that means it's allowed to go into uh, scheduled. Um, and so it'll let the job with scheduled event fire, and so on and so forth, right? So in this case, there is sort of this... Um, the aggregate is kind of storing the same data as as what you stored in the database, um, but those start to diverge as these systems systems get more complex, uh, and so you know just you just have to kind of trust that that's the case right now. But it definitely is, um, and the the thing that's really interesting is we can have a job was assigned event that our projector um, just sets the user ID and the status to assigned, but we might have a job was reassigned event that in the beginning maybe just sets the user ID and the status to assigned because at the current state of our application, that's all that matters. But there's an important difference because now we have an understanding that this job got to the assigned status in one of two different ways. And down the road, if it turns out that we need to do other work when a job is reassigned, we can replay those events. We can update our projectors and we can replay all those old events and project new state as needed. And so having an understanding of what what happened to get the thing in the state that it is becomes more and more valuable over time. Exactly. <laughs> now, and like, so, so given, given this example um, of like, that was a happy path. So let's say a job comes in as created. And so the aggregate like puts it as created. And then um, a webhook from a third party system tries to schedule it as the next event it goes to schedule, but it's in a new, like the new state, the created state. And so it never fires the schedule event. Instead, it throws an exception. Like a, a job has to be uh, assigned before it can be scheduled. But not only, like maybe in addition to throwing an exception, it also fires an event that said like job was, job tried to be scheduled before assigned. And that event has a reactor or projector that sends an email to an admin that says like something happened that wasn't like 
this bad thing happened that we didn't want. Um, I don't right. Know. I mean, there's, there's some like those, those paths um, can become a little bit easier to, to reason about in the like specific case, as opposed to this controller that maybe has like now all these extra spots. Well, I, I would take that even further. Like what if what we wanted was um, if, if a, you know, a third party, uh, you know, partner sends more than three invalid status updates, we want to notify them, right? We want to notify them and we want to notify admins, right? In the traditional, in the traditional uh, just model application, now we're storing a column on the vendor that's like f uh, invalid webhook count, right? That is like really awkward. And then we have to reset it in uh, at, at the appropriate time. And like, it doesn't really have any, it, it just feels weird in, in all other contexts, except for this one case. Whereas if, yeah, if in our um, assigned method, um, we check, is this valid? And then if it's not, we trigger a, you know, attempted to um, set job status to an invalid state event, right? Then our aggregate root can just apply listen for that event internally and every time it sees it it just increments an internal counter for the number of times it's seen that um since it triggered a you know notified vendor of bad api calls event or something like that and uh when it see when that count gets to three it does something else and then resets the count to zero. And now that count is just held internal to your aggregate root in a way that makes a lot of sense from the event stream perspective. And your application doesn't have to look at it outside of the event stream perspective, you know? And then let's say like six months down the line, an admin wants to see a list of all of our vendors and who's done this poorly. Well, late, like now, you know, we can make a new projector that stores this in a table that just has like the vendor name and their uh, incident count. And we can replay all of the events that have ever happened and project that final, that final count and then have an index view that's just like the vendor name and, and their count because some some staff person or an admin like wanted to see that, uh, you know, that report from a, from a UI perspective. Yeah. And I mean, this is maybe a little bit of a out of, uh, you know, an unlikely case, but stuff like this does come up. And when you're, when you think about things in events, you just have a lot of flexibility to, to sort of after the fact to decide, oh, I want to look at this data in a slightly different way. Well, as long as you have the data, um, you can just go back and just just use historical data to do new things, which is really powerful. 
So I have a question about this example about you know bad status updates. Uh, just to help me understand a little bit more. So for example, you know we have this so-called vendor sending us invalid um, you know statuses, and you know we have to uh, record those statuses, right? And uh, so I'm assuming every time a status comes up, say hits our like controller, we record that thing, we um, persist that into our like snapshot slash aggregate route, right? But then immediately we have to check to see if if we want to like react to something. Um, well, you wouldn't even let the event fire if it's invalid. I see. I so see. you so would, you would never. Check. Yeah, you wouldn't even fire the like a job was scheduled event. Mm -hmm. Instead, you would fire a different event. I so see. I see. Okay. Yeah, you're not you're not um you're not persisting an invalid event. And and that's kind of that is the that is the fundamental job of the aggregate route is to guard against dispatching invalid events. Well, but how do you then, uh, you know, keep track of the number of invalid statuses they've sent? You trigger a different event. You would you trigger, trigger a, a different event. Vendor attempted ah, to okay. schedule a job, job, you know, or, or something like that. Invalid status, yeah. And okay. you can just decide, like, how granular you want that to be. Is it like a vendor attempted to assign job that was new, or do you just trigger like a vendor uh attempted invalid job transition and you just store the status that it was and the status that sure. they tried to attempt right. you know. vendor made an oopsie event <laughs> yes exactly i got you okay well that yeah i suppose that makes a lot of sense so then you would persist obviously those things and then that other um you know validation aspect would just look for all of the uh persisted you know, counts of those events. Exactly. Right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that helped me understand that. So the, the reason that this came up, right, is we are doing, um, we're doing a, a pretty big billing refactor and we're, we're uh, implementing, um, we're, we're switching from authorized.net to Stripe for some stuff. And, you know, Stripe is fundamentally, a very evented um, implementation, right? Everything comes through event, uh, webhooks. And so when we were first, um, when we were first sort of tackling this, the conversation around event sourcing came up a little bit, but um, I essentially made the call that um, we should just implement it sort of outs not using the the formal event sourcing processes even though it's it is kind of event you know it's it's event driven anyway um but for reasons um and i think that now that um i've just been thinking about event sourcing again i'm i'm questioning that decision and i think we're at a place where you know because a lot of the implementation is is already um you know just reacting to events it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a particularly difficult refactor to take the code that we have and instead of sort of these bespoke event handlers webhook handlers um use use projectors and reactors and an aggregate route for the um, subscription or whatever you know whatever it might be um 
and when we first started talking about it, um, you know, the, the the point came up that this may be a really good use case for event sourcing, but it does, um, it does, it's it, it it's less obvious to you know the traditional Laravel developer how things work and is it worth sort of um you know hiding some of this behavior behind a you know a different paradigm um and I I just thought it'd be really interesting to have that conversation here <laughs> because I think there's something to it um. I'm not convinced that it that that's I I you know I'm I still am sort of feeling like especially in the case of of Stripe where you're really dealing with a lot of webhook reacting to webhooks just using a formal event sourcing process might might I think it might be the right call but I just I don't know I wanted to have that and I know Skylar you your initial reaction was just like it just feels like it might be harder to reason about if we're not always inside this event sourcing stuff and billing is something that we're going to be dealing with a lot. So like, is it worth that cost? And I wonder if you're still feeling that or if you've kind of changed your position at all or I don't know where you are. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I had, I had heard of event sourcing before I started at InterNACHI, but I had never used it. And, so I was just like, man, there's all these terms. And like, well, I don't have a CS degree. Maybe if I had a CS degree, like I'd understand what an aggregate root and a projector and all this stuff was. And I was just like, well, like, I don't know. I just want to like have my models and like keep with the defaults. Uh, but I spent literally three hours, watched some videos, read some blog posts. And now I'm like, oh, like I, I get it. And I actually think there's a lot of places where this would have been useful in in past jobs that I've had. Like it's I, all events everywhere. Like I worked for a long time on a on a CMS product, and we we like had uh, versions. Like people could create new versions of existing content, um, and so we had this like table with the actual content, and then another table with the versions. Uh, but someone like wants to preview a version, but not publish it. Well, like we didn't have a way to do that. And so then we had this third table that was like preview. Uh, and then like, oh, well, it needs to go through an approval process if it's just an editor and not an admin. And like we had just had all these terrible, like it was really hard to work with in in a trad quote unquote trad traditional sense. And like, Event sourcing, while it adds a level of complexity initially, like could have simplified the implementation of that. And so looking at all this code that we have for billing here already is like, man, this is a lot of weird, like weird edge cases that are being covered. That event sourcing, like at least it's got more guardrails and it's got conventions of how to do something and um you know in the sense of billing where a user might be entering credit card information an admin might be crediting their account with something stripe sending a webhook authorized.net is sending a like 
settlement notification. Like we've got all these different things in different places and jobs are running to do subscriptions. Like, I don't know, event sourcing might kind of contain all of those different places in a, in a way that makes it uh, easier to, easier to work with. I love how a three-hour video made Skylar an event source junkie. I know. Before <laughs> I was like, man, listening to Daniel on all these different podcasts talking about event sourcing, and I was just like, ah, like it's overblown. Like magic. But now I'm like, oh man, Daniel was right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, I I think um, you know, as far as the uh, you know Stripe example, you know, uh, I don't have. You know, I have some doubts also with event sourcing because I also feel like, you know, it is a bit of black magic. And I feel like anybody coming from like a traditional background like you, Skylar, like you, Chris, and, you know, me and many other people who would be listening to this, you know, it, it is a little bit of, um, you know, uh, once you get your feet wet, maybe then you'll start to really appreciate and understand it. I think that's part of it. As far as the Stripe implementation uh, stuff, you know, what I worry about is you know, are we collecting, are we like ever going to be in a position to replay those events to project different data? And I know that we have a different payment processor right now that is painful, um, which it's authorized.net. It's the worst. (laughs) I'm, I'm happy to say their name and disparage it because they're awful. Yes. But I feel like if uh, authorized.net could send uh, us events, um, you know, they would probably be terrible, but, um, you know, it would be nice to replay some of this stuff in our, uh, database. You know, we've certainly, uh, over the years have made mistakes. We are human. We're not perfect. And, you know, it would be nice to say, Hey, just replay five years worth of authorized events to bring somebody's like, um, status up to speed or whatever it is. So I do think that there is some value in recording some of these Stripe events, but, I also, um, you know, are we kind of, uh, is our application, you know, if we don't record it, it's almost like our application is like a projector of Stripe events, right? Uh, They send us the events and we kind of like crunch them down and we do stuff, you know, but I suppose if we record them, then we could also, um, you know, replay those events. And I don't know how valuable that is. I mean, on one hand, it sounds like valuable, but what is your initial gut? I mean, I think the the promise of being able to replay events is incredibly enticing. <laughs> um, and I think being able to replay events in development and testing is very ha- has already proven to be incre- incredibly valuable because I mean, I have a um, re- I have a real world example that we were just working on earlier this week. Yeah. Where, so in, in our application, like a user can uh, go from paid to, to just like a guest user. And if they go back to paid within 12 months of downgrading, like we will reinstate them at their like level with all of their path, like all of their like credits and things like they're there. But if it's after 12 months, then like we don't, uh, we don't. We give them some things, but not everything. And so we've got to like store this date about like when when were they downgraded? When were they upgraded? And if we had these events, like 
we, the event itself would have that date. But if we change our minds and we say now it's 11 months or now it's 13 months, like we've got all these events that are user was downgraded, user was upgraded. I don't know. I, I think like this is a, is a case where like we were relying on this date that wasn't necessarily set correctly and people that had been downgraded for years like we're getting platinum status or whatever like when they shouldn't have and it was confusing to them and to staff and to us and like we couldn't quite figure out how did they get into this state because we thought they deactivated in 2011 but like for some reason we just don't know because all we have is where they were at when we where the database was right yeah and and to be able to i mean even without that's the thing is like the promise of replaying events is really enticing and i i do think that there's value there but even beyond just replaying the events like in that case of that person that that uh there was an issue with being able to just look at the stream of events um and debug by just that instead of trying to like recreate all of that history from all the other data and the audit logs and all these different like you know various data points that we have around the application um that alone <laughs> would have been really helpful right but um yeah i mean i i definitely think that um replaying events is is a powerful feature of this you know architecture and i think that it can come into play even if it's not i mean you know the the big promise is you know if we go back to the exam system right uh you know we test every you know the, the exam system is tested incredibly heavily and went through tons of qa so obviously this didn't happen but imagine a world where uh we accidentally didn't add up their score correctly in our uh you know in our projector right we were doing like a you know a, a plus equals and like we needed to be like resetting. I don't know. I can't think of a case where this would actually happen, but like we, we somehow were screwing up the score and maybe it was like, it was just like a rounding error. So it only came up in these really edge cases where it was like, you know, multiple choice question and it was an odd number of options. And there was like, you know, where it just didn't come up enough. Um, and so people were getting these like fractional scores and the rounding wasn't working the way um, it was intended to work. Right. That's a that's a that's a theoretical scenario. Um, the the like real like promise of being able to replay events is theoretically in that case we would be able to go back and change round to floor or to seal or whatever it was that you know whatever the the bug was, and then either just delete the entire exam sessions table and rerun all of those events and now all the sessions come with um the correct scoring or if you make all of your projectors idempotent then you just replay all the events and um they just get applied in order again 
and they, you know, it just, it just recalculates that score for each session. Um, and I think that there's a lot of like, that's really interesting to me, but we've never been in a position to do that yet. So I don't know. I mean, I imagine that actually replaying 12 million events would take a while. <laughs> uh, and so there's like downtime considerations and there's like, what if things, what if there is an error like halfway through the process? Like um, there's a bunch of questions that I don't know the answer to yet. You could replay um, to a new table. Yes. And then after it finishes, you deploy again, pointing to that new table in your UI. There's some, you yeah. know, there's some options. And that's actually what's, what's even cooler there is you can update your projector to uh, project to two tables, then replay all your events into the new table. While that's happening, all of the events that get triggered during the, the uh, migration are just getting projected into two places. So you have up-to-date state on both tables. And then once everything's synced up, and I mean, this is what we did with uh, with uh, the system in the past when we were actually moving to this event source system was we just projected everything into two places. And that way we were, you know, able to to do it over time without having to like make that that moment in time switch. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it, it definitely sounds like a very compelling argument. I feel like, you know, uh, after also doing some research on the event sourcing, and uh, you know, having this conversation and just kind of looking back at some of the old event sourcing code that we have. You know, I think that it is a really good solution, you know, um, to kind of like handle complex logic, such as the exam system. Like you mentioned earlier, we have to, you know, uh, be able to prove that a certain p person has taken this course and like storing their IP address with every answer is just not viable. Um, so, you know, I think that there's a lot of benefits and even for, you know, even if we do have to replay, you know, it sounds like there's some options that we could, even if it takes a while and we need to have a, we need to use a compute, a CPU that has not yet been developed to replay 12 million events, you know, I'm sure that we'll be able to do it in time. You know, it's, it sounds like there's an off ramp, um, you know, to be able to project into different tables, to be able to you know, do various things. I feel like some of it still, you know, feels like uh, black magic to me. And I'm sure Skylar probably feels the same way. And I'm sure Chris, you have some doubts. Uh, that's where I think we are at least. Yeah. I mean, the other thing about replaying events and this, I actually think is the bigger upside is there's the scenario where you replay events just to, um, to fix uh, fix something or maybe capture new data that you need. Um, right. Because going back to this job assignment system, maybe, uh, maybe in the beginning when a job was scheduled, event is fired and a job is assigned, was assigned event is fired. All we're doing is updating the status of the job in our, in our eloquent, uh, model, but maybe six months out, you know, our partner comes back and says, Hey, we want, you know, we want to start auditing, um, the, you know, uh, the, the new to assigned timing 
of your application because like you agreed to certain standards. And now we're in a position where, oh shoot, we haven't been storing those timestamps on the, the jobs table, but we have those events. And I think, um, I think the use cases for replaying events into new projectors is much more, I, I imagine that comes up more. I mean, that's something that we've already done. Um, but I imagine that comes up more often where, okay, this new requirement comes in. And now, instead of having to store all of these timestamps on the jobs table, when those timestamps don't really matter uh, to the application um, that's, that's consuming that, um, that model, we can instead just write a new projector that projects um, these, you know, time averages into, or you know, these these daily or weekly or monthly um, averages to a new table that is custom built for the auditing purposes. Uh, you know, so that we can just show, like, you know, in January, you know, our average time between us to between new and assigned was, you know, 16 hours. And our highest was 28 hours and our lowest was two hours or what, you know, whatever, whatever data we need. And in February, you know, we just could, we aggregate however we want. And all that would be necessary to make that happen is um, build up the necessary state, add any necessary necessary state to the aggregate route to do those calculations. And because, you know, to Skylar's point at the very beginning, the aggregate route is just in memory. You can add new stuff to it whenever you want because it's going to be recomputed. Um, you might have to you might have to wipe out your snapshots if you're going to do that. But um, and now we just we just have a new feature that we can build from this historical data. Um, and I think in terms of projection that feels to me like a, a bigger upside or, or more realistic upside than this kind of like imagined world where you just wipe your entire application state and replay all your events to get a new one. I think while it's nice to know that that's like sort of there on the table, I, I imagine that's like, that's something that you do very infrequently. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that there's like, two there's like two stories that i'm still not fully not fully like convinced but mostly because i just don't know that like i haven't done enough research is like what's the testing story to this because it's so nice in laravel to just be like job factory like create a job and then like assert some stuff and and like hit an endpoint and so like is there are there good testing facilities to like yes create a couple of events and then, you know, expect some things or, and so like, that's like one part and it sounds like the answer is yes. Like use a package that's open source that has all that stuff and great. And then I think like an, another interesting conversation to have is like, all right, like event sourcing is obviously not for everything, but like what, like what are some things that's like probably not worth doing it on? Um, and I know like, Daniel mentioned you shouldn't like make your authentication uh, event sourced, but like I wonder, like should your users be event sourced? Like, I, you know, do we need to keep a history of like when they updated their profile? 
yeah, I mean, the this I'm going to give the most unsatisfying answer. Uh, it depends, right? Like, sure, there are. I think there are cases where authentication could be event sourced. Maybe not like, not to the degree where you're actually like projecting their session on a queue in the you know like, uh, but. Yeah, you may, if it's really important to your system from like a security and auditing perspective to know like exactly when people logged in um, and maybe, you know, you you care about where they logged in from and like you want to trigger specific events if someone logs in from like one continent and then logs in from a different continent within like 30 seconds or something, like you know, like there are use cases where from like a security and auditing perspective, you may want to um, use event sourcing for, for things like authentication. Um, And yeah, in in the same way, like if the state of your users and their, their transition between those states is important, right? If you need to say like, this person used a different company name six months ago and they changed their company name, you know, five and a half months ago, like it may be worth it. Right. But on the flip side, if you're never going to ask those questions, it's probably way, way, way overkill. Yeah. Yeah. I could certainly see, you know, having an authentication kind of like tracking people's locations and stuff. I feel like I've done this without events sourcing by just writing custom data into an audit log. <laughs> like a person logged in from this place and now it's in the audit log. Um, but, you know, it's a very primitive, um, you know, obviously way of doing things. I think the other question that I also have, like, like when do you actually project events? Like if we take this, you know, uh, example of, you know, recording where you logged in from. Like, I don't want to compute that data during the login process. I just want to write that event. So would there be kind of like a background job of some sort uh, process that says like, just go through all of the latest logins and, you know, uh, project them and do whatever else needs to happen? Yeah. I mean, this this is getting a little bit to the edge of my... Um my comfort level with with specifically how like the the library that we use the spotsy library but um yeah i imagine that you would essentially um you would need to trigger a user logged in event and then maybe have like a reactor mm-hmm. that um runs on on the queue that listens for the user logged in event and you know fires a set like does the um you know the um ip lookup geo stuff in the background on the queue and fires like an additional like user login was geocoded event or something like that you know what i mean like um because yeah, you you obviously don't necessarily want to do that direct inside your um, synchronous login method. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like you know, in on, on this episode, we haven't talked about over engineering anything yet. 
Uh, and I feel like what if we over-engineered like a basic user registration flow using event sourcing that like triggers an event? Like, would that be uh, a, a, an interesting way to explore some of the event sourcing magic? I don't know. Would I feel like we've kind of already walked through, you know, other flows. I don't know that we would really... Um, that we would really get to anything new there. I think it would be interesting to like, so Laravel has all these breeze starter kits that have like authentication out of the box. It'd be interesting to like make a breeze starter kit. That's like an event sourcing breeze starter kit where, yeah, like instead of it creating the user directly, it's firing a user was registered event into the event sourcing thing. And it's like projecting that data like that that like how do we how do you like what are which isn't necessarily over engineered but it's like how do we get like our default like laravel conventions but also like integrate this event sourcing paradigm um without it feeling like we're going against the framework uh which like is all vibes for the most part but still like that matters yeah, I so I think you know something that I've been thinking about a ton is sort of the branding of event sourcing and like yeah, these things like uh aggregate root and CQRS and CRDT and projectors and reactors and you know huh, aggregate versioning and all this stuff like it's it's hard. It's just like inaccessible in a way. And even if it's not, even if all those terms are perfectly fine, they, yeah, they don't vibe with the Laravel sort of way. And I, I do think that there is an opportunity to sort of like implement a package that gives you a lot of the power of event sourcing, but just feels more you know artisanal <laughs> throw some facades on there and make it like just so easy to use event sourcing that it becomes like easy it doesn't feel like it's heavy-handed obviously there's trade-offs to every like major architectural decision but makes it easier if it feels like you're not fighting the Right, right. The framework. So here's I here's another concept that I did want to introduce. Um so the 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 term is uh CQRS, command and query responsibility segregation. And I well first I'll describe what it is and then and then I'll bring it back to Laravel. The the idea of uh of CQRS is essentially that um, for an event sourced application to really function well, you have to segregate your commands, your write activity from your queries, your read activity, right? And like in a formal event sourcing model, your your like um, application is going to trigger commands, expecting nothing in return. And that's going to write to your write model, your write database. It might like, and that's effectively just 
saving events in the in the database, right? And then your event system is going to separate from sort of the rest of your application, uh, read those the 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 history of those commands. I mean, and you don't actually need technically you don't need the like projector process, right? You could um, always just instantiate your state by reapplying all the events and never project. Um, but typically, like you want to be able to query your data. Um, and so, you know, you have the the application triggers commands, those get written, and then some magic happens, you know, whether it's those commands are processed on a queue, maybe those commands are processed synchronously in your application, but like from sort of the CQRS perspective, like these things are segregated. You write and then something happens and now you have a read model that you can read from. Um, and, and, and so your read model in sort of the Laravel world would be eloquent models, right? And your write model would be the aggregate root triggering events. Um, and by separating those things out, like you need to separate those things out to kind of get a lot of the value that we talked about. But I think that fundamentally this separation of reads and writes just feels really unlaravelly, right? Where you're just like, oh, now I have like a, I'm doing all this work in one place for one side of the interaction. And then I have to do all this work in another place to do, to get the other side of the interaction. And like, I've got this like job aggregate root and I've got this job model and I have like to apply my job events inside of the job aggregate. And then I also have to project my job events into my job model. And like, it just starts to feel really heavy handed. And so I, the thing that I keep on wondering is like, is there a way to implement, you know, implement sort of the principles of CQRS um, while making the ergonomics of it nicer inside of like a traditional Laravel application? And I don't know. I think that's like almost a question for another episode, but it's just like something to to at least think about or start start thinking about. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think you can get you you have the potential of getting into weird situations where then you're like aggregates are pulling in data from a previous like state of where things are somewhere else but i don't know because there's no i don't have like a good use use case one way or another i will say like it feels like a lot but if you i mean laravel has model events and observers and policies and lots of things that are kind of spread out that act on like you fire an event and then you can register a listener or you can register a model observer or you can have model events and a boot method on the model. Like there's already, uh, you can already have uh, layers of abstraction. And so 
is it really that much more to say like you have your projectors that are writing to your eloquent models and you have your aggregates that are um you know handling your events and we can come up with some like more more laravel esque naming conventions of those things but i don't actually think it's that uh i would have agreed with you two weeks ago but like i don't actually know that it's that much more now that's fair yeah and i mean maybe there are i i do imagine that there are ways to to make it feel a little bit better um while still getting getting all the power of um of that separation so let's talk about you know some of the packages let's say i want to create a new you know project or i want to tinker around with event sourcing you know is you know i know that there's the spotsy package out there there's also the event sauce package like you know what do you think is a good approach you know to to start with you know i feel like uh you know we we should bring some value to our listeners and uh, how does one, you know, just go build events and project them and, you know, replay them? What, where, where do you get all that testing magic you were talking about earlier? Well, the Spotsy package um, comes with uh, a lot of nice testing convenience out of the box. Um, I think that... Which in their docs, they say that they were inspired by Event Sauce's testing conveniences, so... I'll, oh, there I'll you put go. Put it out there that, yeah. So it sounds like Event Sauce is like the OG uh, yeah. PHP version. Yeah, I've never used Event Sauce, and I haven't dug into it. Event Sauce, I know, is uh, it goes deeper than the Spotsy package, and I think that it touches on a bunch of things that, uh, or or you know, has answers to a bunch of questions that I've run into already. You know, a big one is just like um, when you have multiple aggregates that are sort of part of the same thing, right? If you think about our our example of like the vendor sending a status update that's invalid, you know, you 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 would argue that the actual event that you're triggering about the vendor should actually happen on the vendor aggregate, and I think Event Sauce has. Um, a better story around sort of multiple aggregates all being part of the same uh, interaction. Um, whereas the Spotsy package is a little bit more strict about this idea that everything happens to one aggregate and one aggregate only, uh, or one aggregate root only. Um, and I think that the, I think that event sauce, you know, supports um, more of the, um formal event stores and and maybe has more formal concepts built in the reason that we chose the spotsy package when we did was that the spotsy package already feels like it's making event sourcing more accessible to laravel developers um you know it does use uh, a lot of laravel conventions the testing helpers tie in nicely with the you know laravel testing feature set um and yeah it's just you know it's it's like a a a laravel package through and through 
Um, that said, um, I don't know. Skylar was saying this earlier before we started recording. And I, I think that this resonated with me too, that, um, it's, it's nice to use one of these packages, but if someone's getting started, I, I do think that there's a lot of value in trying to implement the concepts yourself before reaching for a package, because the reality is it's not that hard. A lot of what these packages do is just like provide formal mechanisms for stuff that you're going to eventually need or, you know, guard against, um, you know, potential bad scenarios that you might not know to guard against in the beginning, right? There's value there, but like just building it out in the beginning and just using the event dispatcher and, and like a, a listener and a stored event model and, you know, write your own, um, your own stuff on top of that. I think it's where I would start if I was like trying to get my head wrapped around it. Um, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I feel like writing your own event source package when you don't know what it is, is is a big undertaking, I think, in my mind. I do think the happy medium perhaps is like, you know, actually sitting down and looking at the source code of Spotty package to figure out how it is that it works. I mean, unless you've already wrapped your head around, uh, you know, how event sourcing works and, you know, you're very confident to get the uh, event-driven workflow and how the aggregate route works. I think for an average person uh, who has not experienced that, that is a big challenge. I, I totally get where you're coming from, Chris, but I feel like it's a, it's a huge ask. Uh, I don't know. I would say look at some source code. Uh, maybe you know we can include some material uh, that we've uh, found on event sourcing. Um, you know, for people to also like educate themselves. Um, you know. Uh, about some of the concepts and maybe like the description of the podcast. I think that would be really cool. Yeah, we definitely can. There's that event sorcery um, YouTube series. That's also a really good place to, to start. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think like notes. we don't, my, my statement earlier off, off the podcast about like, maybe we, if we're going to do this more, we should write our own was more that like, uh, if this is going to be, like if it's first if it's for a project that's just like for learning like using a package is is great like writing it yourself is great but if this is for like a thing that's making money is providing jobs for people if you're relying on something that you don't totally understand how it works that can become a risk and like if the package does make changes that you don't want we're kind of like you're kind of stuck Whereas like if this is a main part of the application, maybe writing our own makes sense in this context. Also, maybe it's an opportunity to over-engineer something, you know, like there's especially there's if those package options. changes are in private final state. Oh man, getting spicy on the <laughs> on the podcast. But I think like there's there are um there are trade-offs. There are benefits of an open source package because fixing bugs and things like that but the trade-off is like you're kind of uh, beholden to like what the community wants the package to do or what the maintainer of the package wants in or out of it and um i think it really it really depends but if you look at the source code of spotty or event sauce and you're overwhelmed like 
watch some videos and then maybe implement your own that's just the bare minimum of, of what you need. Um, and in that sense, it can be, it's in the, in the sense of like, it's not that hard. Yeah. If you like watch some videos and read some blog posts, you may find that it is not as hard. Um, but if you look at the, at the package and you're like, Oh my gosh, there's all this stuff. Like at the, at the end of the day, it's not that much stuff. If you start with like a bare minimum, a minimal implementation. Yeah. I mean, another thing about like when you're writing a package, you know, the, the Spotsy package, for example, has a, you know, an event repository interface and then an event repository abstract event repository and then an eloquent event repository, right? And all of that makes sense from a package perspective because they're trying to implement something that is flexible while defining a clear interface for uh, writing to and, and reading events. And I mean, when we were looking at it, there was a period of time when, when we were looking at writing our own DynamoDB uh, implementation of that event repository interface. And so having, you know, having all those layers of abstraction uh, makes a ton of sense at the package level. Um, but internally, right, we're not, we don't need uh, an event repository interface and an abstract event repository and an eloquent event repository. We can just have an event repository <laughs> uh, uh, that, I mean, we can just have an event, a stored events model and use eloquent and not have a repository at all. And like, that works perfectly fine for us. And, uh, you know, I think that that's definitely true about these packages is they need to account for a ton of different scenarios and any application only needs to account for their specific scenario. Agreed. <laughs> All right, this feels like um, a good place to start to slow down. Um, you know, I worry, there, in the back of my mind, there's a tiny part of me that's like, people are going to listen to this and we will have never set the stage well enough for the conversation. It's going to make no sense. I hope not. Um, but I, I think, I don't know, I think that this this architecture makes a lot of sense in a lot of places and i definitely want to keep on sort of exploring it and talking about it um both for our application and 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 i do really want to come back to this question of you know is there a way to rethink some of the terms for specifically the the world of laravel developers and laravel applications uh or rethink some of the you know the uh structure to make these things still have the benefit that they have, but kind of work within the traditional Laravel applications more. I think like if you've come to the hour and 27 minute mark of this episode and you're like, I still don't understand event sourcing, uh, go watch the first 14 episodes of Sean McCool's event sorcery course on YouTube. It's free. Uh, and it's, it answers a lot of those questions. I think like I was skeptical until after listening to that. And like, he doesn't, he talks about event sourcing using PHP, but he's really 
like he caveats a lot of things that like it has nothing to do with the PHP language. Like you could write event sourcing applications in any language with or without a framework. And, um, but it's super, it's super helpful. Like gave me like, now I feel like, yeah, I could go in and write some event sourcing code and, and understand what the heck I'm talking about. And I, I, I'll, uh, I'll shout it out even though I haven't, um, looked at it in a long time, but you know, Spotsy has a whole advanced event sourcing, um, course that they released. Um, you know, it's a paid course, but, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a little salty about it because a lot of that content used to just be included in the, uh, Spotsy event sourcing documentation. And now it's behind this paywall, but you know, you got to get paid. I, I, I don't mind, uh, paying a, a company for the work that they do. So, um, that's another resource. I can't, I can't speak exactly to the quality of it because I haven't looked at the paid course. I've just seen some of the, um, resources that kind of led up to that. Um, but again, like that's very specific to Laravel applications. So I think for Laravel developers, um, it's good to have it there. Yeah, I will say, you know, I agree with Skylar. I also watched that same uh, YouTube video, and I feel like personally myself, I don't know if you guys know much about me, but I used to be a paramedic back in the day, and I read a lot of books about how to intubate people, and that was cool. But then you have to go and actually do it. So I feel like you have to watch this course. You got to go get the, uh, you know, the Spotsy package, the event sorcery package, read some documentation, and actually make something. Because otherwise, you know, um, if you cannot put it into practice, it's useless. I think that's really my position. And I, yeah, that's, I think that's true of everything, right? Like you can, you can understand the theory. Um, and I mean, you know, I, 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 uh, rail against private, private methods and, and final classes. Um, sometimes they're perfectly fine, but like, if you don't know when and how to use something, you can you can get caught up in using it the wrong way or or like, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's a bad analogy to draw, but I didn't understand the difference between private and protected until I started working here and Chris changed my PR, the first PR I I made and said, We don't we don't do private here. The the difference is that private well, is I something now, that you never but... type into code and protected is something that you use when it's not public. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Yes. And final is a word that you can just leave out of your vocabulary. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a perfect place to stop. This has been fun. Indeed it has. See you guys. Until next time. See ya.